Welcome to The Greek Current, a podcast by Halk and Kathimerini. I'm your host, Thanos Davelis. Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis became the first Greek prime minister to visit the historic Greek minority in southern Albania in over 30 years on Thursday. Expectations were great in the community, not just because of the symbolic significance of the visit, but also because people hope to see a willingness from Athens to address some of the key challenges they face. Mitsotakis was accompanied by Olympic gold medalist Piros Dimas, a native of the region. Nikos Evstathiou, the deputy editor-in-chief at LIFO, a leading Greek weekly print and online magazine, a former journalist at Kathimerini, and an author who has written a recently published book on Piros Dimas that gives in-depth insights into the experience of the Greek minority in Albania, joins me to break down the significance of this week's visit by Prime Minister Mitsotakis. Niko, great to have you back on The Greek Current. Thank you, Thanos. It's great to be back. Niko, Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis visited the Greek minority in southern Albania on Thursday. Is this trip a major milestone for the Greeks of Albania? Yes, Thanos, I would say it's actually tremendously important. I mean, suffice it to say, the last Greek prime minister that visited the villages that belong in the Greek minority was some 30 years ago, Kyriakos Mitsotakis' father, Kostadinos Mitsotakis. And he did so as the communist regime was collapsing and the borders were opening for the first time after 50 years. So you understand that the presence of the Greek head of state in a minority that has a very long history on its own is sort of historic. I would also say that after Mitsotakis' trip was cancelled recently, with the official reasoning being bad weather, there was uh, frustration, I guess, in the community or people were waiting for it. But I think the real reason it's a milestone is that the Greek minority in uh, Albania is part of a very long and very fascinating history of Greeks outside of Greece's borders. It's a very active beacon of Hellenicism, if you will, from Ottoman times, where the region was incredibly active. And then later on, uh, a lot of benefactors stemming from northern Epirus, people like Evangelis Zappas, who's the man behind the building of Zapion in the heart of Athens, or Arisakis behind the famous schools of Athens. So a very active community, but that as many minorities in the Balkans was the victim, if you will, of border carving. So a Greeks living outside of the borders of Greece. That on its own is very complex, but the Greeks of Albania have suffered injustice and hardship, I think, in a particular degree, both because of the Enver Hoxha, very brutal regime. But also then, and here's the second part of their history, which is when borders opened and a lot of them came to Greece. So it's a doubly traumatic experience, if you will. And that comes to today, where I think the population there has a lot of grievances, and there are a lot of challenges with property rights and the way that they are violated by the government of Albania right now. So I think the visit of the PM there, both as a reminder that Greece is there and recognizes these people, the officially recognized minority of Albania, of Greeks, but also to sort of tie it to more contemporary issues that the minority has today. Nico, one individual that was with Prime Minister Mitsotakis was Piros Dimas, the renowned Olympic champion. You've recently published a fantastic book about his journey from Himara, a town in southern Albania, to Greece, and then onto the world stage. Does his story embody you know, the many struggles that you've alluded to of the Greek minority in Albania? I would say in many ways, yes, and in many ways, no. And the latter, because obviously we're talking about someone who, from an early age, Pitos was a tremendous athlete. He went on to win four Olympic medals, of course. But he was a very bright, athletic talent in Albania, and he got to travel outside of Albania and come to Greece before he migrated here as an athlete. This sort of legacy carried on, and his journey in Greece is also very different. 
But in most ways, I would say yes, because even in Pyrrhus's case, injustice is sort of woven throughout his life and his journey. His story begins, I mean, he was raised in Himara, which is a town that is of incredible historical relevance and interest because it was excluded from the officially recognized Greek minority zone of the 99 villages by Enver Hoxha. So this changed across time because the locals chose to not participate in the referendum that officially sort of began his rule. So they were excluded. And that's the reason why Mitsotakis's visit today is of particular importance. But he grows up there and with his grandma, even though there's a lot of oppression, just learns how to speak Greek, has a very close proximity to Greekness, and then goes on in Tirana to live away from the Greek community and faces a complete sort of eradication of expression of culture. He was not allowed to speak Greek. And then when he goes on to move to Greece, he then faces sort of a continuation of struggle in the sense that Greece at the time was experiencing a mass migration. And Pyrrhus himself, as a northern Epirot, was just seen as another migrant, very often as Albanian. And as he famously told me, I think this phrase sort of sums up this journey. In Albania, we were seen as Greeks. And then in Greece, we're seen as Albanians. So it's sort of this identity that never feels a belonging, even though essentially it's a Greek minority in Albania. So I think the fact that this is sort of represented in Pyrrhus's case shows that there is a sort of a historic injustice about the people that live up there. Nico, are there any specific examples from Pyrrhus's life that for you were especially compelling, you know, especially when it relates to the broader treatment of the Greeks in Albania and subsequently in Greece? Yes, I will say if the focus is 91, when the borders collapsed and for the first time the Greek minority of Albania migrated down to Greece, the interest there was that they were not given the Greek passport or citizenship, so it was sort of a temporary status. This affected Pyrrhus's life as well, so he was not able to obtain a Greek passport, he was not recognized as Greek. And it was only by pulling strings that he managed to get the passport a day that the official Olympic delegation was departing for Barcelona. So he made it almost, you know, by chance or by luck at the last minute. He went on to win the gold medal for Greece. But I bring this example because one sort of grievance that the minority has is that they were not given the Greek passport for 14 years. And this is the only Greek minority where this was the case. I mean, Greece has many stories, and a lot of them are tragic, of Greeks from outside of its borders moving to Greece. But there's the story of the Albanian minority that came 30 years ago now, and then for 14 years were not even recognized as Greek citizens. So there was even a state injustice beyond the sort of societal stigma that they faced. So I think this era of his life is particularly interesting in the book because it reflects very accurately how Greece received the minority. And I would say that Greece's strategy throughout the years was to make sure that it would maintain the Greek presence in the villages. So when the Greek minority started moving to Greece, the official state line was we will host them, but we want them to return so that they keep their ancestral homes. But the reality was that these people migrated because also economically opportunity was here and they were, many of them, escaping the suppression and oppression of you know, the times of the regime as it was collapsing. But then now, 30 years later, this is the main issue that we're still talking about, is the fact that these areas were deserted and a lot of property was seized by the Albanian state. So it was a failure of foreign policy, if you will, that Greece insisted to not recognize the minority and give it citizenship to maintain its presence there, because that de facto just did not happen anyway. Nico, what about the day-to-day challenges that the minority faced 
in Albania as a result of government policies? I mean, within Albania was obviously the major challenge. So as soon as the minority is recognized as a minority, and that brings us back sort of a century ago when the borders were carved in 1914, they were given rights to exercise sort of education, language preservation, religion. These things were recognized and supposedly put under protection. But then eventually through the years, these things were very often violated and suppressed. And this happened throughout the years, even before Enver Hoxha. But then at the end of the Second World War, we have the rise of what is by historians known as one of the most brutal dictators to Albanians and minorities alike. But of course, minorities suffer twice as much. So education is the main thing that we know was very violently suppressed. So the Greek Orthodox element that was very active, mostly in uh, Greek northern epirotes, if you will, but as well as Albanians that were Orthodox. And then a lot of schools were also closed, like language schools. And Himan is also a fantastic example because, as I told you before, it was not in the official sort of geographically defined minority zone, so it was deprived of the right to even have a school in Greek. But then the rest would propagate communist propaganda, and this follows sort of the same suppression that we talked about before. But then the other reason is that Albania sort of pursued the internal population exchange plan, if you will, by industrializing and then offering opportunities in towns and then occasionally forcibly moving populations around and then repopulating areas in an attempt to make sure that there was no geographically clearly defined minority areas. And this happened. An interesting detail about this in Piros' book is that he told me, even though in Himara a lot of Greeks had left and then Albanians had come, and Greek was not the official spoken language because it was not in the minority zone, everybody spoke Greek. But the ones that left, so the Greek minority that left and migrated to urban centers, they had a complete suppression. They were not even allowed to speak. Greek. This would be a criminal state offense. And then Piros also tells me that when he moves to Tirana, his life is incredibly different. They were whispering in their houses. And then beyond that, we know that the Hoja regime was incredibly oppressive and violent across the board. And so the secret state police was incredibly pervasive. And then a lot of very brutal punishments were given to a lot of citizens. And this affected a lot of people in the Greek minority whenever they would express sort of culture outside of the very clearly defined minority zone. Bringing this to today, I would say that this manifests itself in different ways. I mean, you obviously don't have this state suppression. People are allowed to exercise their rights, their culture, their identity. But it has continued in the sense of this debate about the geography on sort of the definition and the size of minority and then its implications when it comes to property in the regions that are in question. One unfortunate reality of this region today is that the number of Greeks in these villages and towns is shrinking. You know, what's contributing to this? And would you say that this is the top challenge that the minority faces today? I would say so, yeah. And it's the result of many factors. The primary one, I would say, is mass migration away from Albania in the 90s. And this is the result of the economic collapse of the Hoza regime, that, you know, a completely isolated country just collapses and then explodes and the borders fall. So, A lot of people, including the majority of the young people, the younger generation of Greek Albanians at the time, moved to Greece. And you understand that this continued as Greece was at a very different stage. And economically, it made perfect sense for these groups to stay there and then contribute back home. But there was also, particularly with the older generation, a closer tie to staying home. So most of the people that stayed back were sort of older people. And this continues to today. 
The reason they're shrinking is because there was more opportunity in Greece and a lot of the Greek northern epirotes, the Greek minority in Albania, if you will, move here. So that population is shrinking and simultaneously the land there has a lot of potential for development and investment. And this is part of the reason why sort of economic interests come into play when a lot of the property that's seized is given for use when it comes to tourism. So there's sort of these villages that have this tremendous history that are populated by a couple of old people that feel very deserted. Another sort of challenge faced is economic, because we have to remember that Greece went through a crisis and this affected people there in northern Epirus, in the villages in Albania, because a lot of them depended on remittances that had to do with the Greek economy state at the time. The way this manifests today is because one of the grievances of the Greeks of Albania in Greece is that there was a pension that was given to northern Epirotes when they were officially recognized as Greek citizens in return that was cut as a measure of austerity. And so this contributed to the financial problem that the people that remain back in the villages and towns, the population that's shrinking, is facing today. And this has been brought up by a lot of people in the community in Greece, a lot of the organizations representing the minority. So these are, I think, the two challenges. One comes from the Albanian state that is invasive and in the sense of property. And this is the main sort of political problem of today. But then uh, there's a secondary problem which has to do with a continuation of injustice from Greece's part for the people living here and some demands that they have. Nico, taking us back to the prime minister's visit this week, what do the Greeks in Albania hope to see from Greece? I think primarily what they want to see is that Greece defends their uh, rights in Albania. I mean, the question of property being seized is major. And then that they work, I think, with Albania together, because the story of a minority has to involve both countries, in order to ensure that this remains sort of protected. I think on a secondary level, they would want him to carry a message back home that they're not a forgotten minority, that the people living in these lands, I mean, they're part of Greek history in so many ways across years, and that Greece has to contribute in their preservation and to sort of defend them today as well. Nico, great speaking with you as always. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Thanos, for having In other news, Bank of Greece Governor Yanis Tournaras warned the country's political parties to avoid any handout talk that could jeopardize Greece's course back to investment grade. He also noted that any difficulties in the formation of a government after the upcoming elections could pose a risk to the economy. Sturnaras noted the implementation of investments and reforms based on the Greece 2.0 plan, as well as the maintenance of fiscal reliability and stability, can make it possible for Greece to be upgraded to investment level next year. Meanwhile, the Parliamentary Budget Office has highlighted the positive course of the Greek economy, while also pointing to the prospect of a slowdown in growth in the coming months. Finally, unauthorized flights over the eastern Aegean by Turkish jets continued unabated on Wednesday, the Hellenic National Defense General Staff said, reporting that a pair of Turkish F-16 fighter jets conducted five overflights over the Greek islets Pharmakonisi, Lipsi, Arkii, and Agathonisi. Earlier, a pair of Turkish F-16s flew over the remote border islet of Kinaros, while a second pair flew over Kinaros and the adjacent island of Glados. A Turkish UAV also flew over Kinaros. Meanwhile, Turkey's defense minister Hulusi Akar accused Greece on Wednesday of provocative actions, claiming that Athens is pursuing expansionist and aggressive policies that fuel instability. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.